0: Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention Podcast. I'm Tom Hammond, uh, your host, co-founder of UserWise. And uh, today, really excited to have uh, Patrick McGrath with us uh, back on the show. Um, For those of you that have never heard Patrick speak, I recommend that you just scour the internet to find anything that he's like spoke on because they're pretty much all amazing and you're going to learn so much. So, um, I'm extremely privileged to have Patrick on on with us today, but uh, Patrick, before we dive into stuff, um, I always like to ask, you know, for people that aren't aware, like, what's your story? How'd you get into games? How'd you get into, uh, you know, where you are today? And then what are you up to?
1: Cool. Well, that's quite an intro, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say that s- some of the videos are worth watching. <laughs> <laughs> um So my path into games is, I mean, I don't know if there's a traditional path into games. Uh, Certainly not when I got into it about 12, 13 years ago. Um, Lifelong gamer for sure. Um, Certainly grew up playing, you know, in 64. Halo being in Seattle was like, wow, (laughs) amazing. (laughs) Um, And, uh, but just never kind of thought like oh this is something that i can take this passion and go make a career out of so i went finance route (laughs) um slightly less fun uh did a couple years of that and uh there was the western headquarters of ncsoft which is this large korean mmo company that was based in seattle and because of my finance background um they had reached out to me asking if I wanted to join their finance team, which was super exciting uh, for a a number of reasons. (laughs) And uh, this was my serendipitous intro into gaming. Uh, So like right away, it was free to play games, which was, you know, pretty damn new for a Western market, but super interesting from just like the consumer and just like consumer psychology and just overall like business model side. So this is Mm -hmm. what really propelled me into, uh, games and, and sticking around. (laughs)
0: Love it. Um, and I don't know how much you can tell us about what you're up to currently, but, uh, yeah. What, what are you open to sharing? (laughs)
1: Only exciting things. Uh, No, I am in the process, I can say, like starting my own studio uh, based in Berlin. I've been in Berlin the last five years. um, Mm -hmm. Working on like really cool titles, uh, also helping companies set up new studios. And, you know, most people would say, hey, The timing might not be the best, but for me, I think this is certainly something I'm passionate about and really excited, especially just looking at some of the areas within gaming. Uh, Mobile gaming, of course, is massive. Uh, Cross-platform is becoming more and more of, I wouldn't even necessarily call it a thing, almost a necessity (laughs) at this point. It's uh, as as mobile becomes this red ocean, And then, of course, new technologies. I know I might say the bad word of blockchain or crypto or Web3 (laughs) or whatever. But I think uh, fundamentally at a technological, like take all the hype away, there's some cool things that could be done there. And uh, so (laughs) I guess like without spilling the beans, slightly spilling the beans, (laughs) like uh, starting a new studio.
0: (laughs) Love it. Love it. And this isn't your first foray into entrepreneurship like uh tell us a little bit about like uh, your your previous company looped and how that kind of came about what you guys kind of did there
1: oh yeah uh, looped was uh, a very fun uh side project that turned into a full-time project that turned into another side right <laughs> it had its ups and downs <laughs> but um so something that uh, always interested me was property uh, investment and had done a bit of that right out of school as the you know market the financial crisis was essentially caused by the housing market and so like the depression and house prices were massive and having experienced and lived through that there was A couple of things that I always kept in mind uh, on ways to kind of analyze uh, properties and yeah, yeah, like fun way to spend your free time, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was just super interesting, even the way in which people uh, choose a place to live in a city, uh, why they do that. And while I was living in London, I had just moved to London, uh, there was really a lack of, well, anything, uh, software, uh, uh, company-wise, like just any help, everything was just so fractured, just from an information standpoint. It started out as kind of a side project of, hey, how could we start to consolidate a lot of this information, at least to the point in which the U.S. has like Zillow or Trulia or Redfin, um, where what a novel idea. I can look at school ratings while I also look Mm. at housing. Um, And then, of course, this just turned into kind of a larger and larger idea of well, what if we actually start to pull in uh, government statistics? What if we start to pull in uh, information from Google Places API, Foursquare, um, all these different aspects to like really put a fully contextual search? So it's not your average two-bedroom, uh, 100 square meters or thousand square feet, whatever you normally put in. Um, but things that are important to you from a lifestyle standpoint. I have two kids, a dog, hey, parks would be nice, Uh, good schools, or hey, I'm young 20 year old moving to London. Uh, Where are the parties at? Where's the nightlife? Like what kind of (laughs) entertainment stuff? And so from a consumer side, we were really looking at delivering just a a wholly more contextual um, search while also from an investment Uh, side, which was kind of more of a subscription model, um, was more or less finding indicators like that of what some of the larger property investment uh, uh, consultancies had done in New York, which was called a cafe index. It was, there's a delta between new cafes started in an area that some consultancy had found, and this was kind of like the indicator of like the start of gentrification. And so, if you got in early enough, uh, you could see what massive appreciation and and property prices. Very interesting.
0: Okay, so
1: <laughs> sorry that got like a real into- no,
0: no, no. This is amazing, <laughs> and it's actually touching on on what I thought would be really fun to cover today, which is um, kind of this idea of. Starting a new product or a new game or service or whatever, and kind of going from from zero to one. Um, yeah. You know how do you how do you figure out what is that thing that is actually truly needed, and 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 build and iterate that thing out until it's you know magical enough that people are willing to use it. Um, <clears throat> cool. So um, I don't know. Should we start with a theoretical game? Should we use loop? Should we use an existing, you know, game that you worked on in the past? Where would you like to, where'd you like to go with that?
1: Cool. Um, I feel like starting with a product that has seen the light of day might be a little like cheating. And then, you know, <laughs> I mean, only because it's like certainly like biased depending on the market and the timing. And so I think maybe theoretical might be better. Cause at least it's like, now (laughs) uh taking into into, like current factors uh but i'm up for anything
0: yeah um well i could actually share a story too about you know an idea that i had that failed for me to execute on it but when uber actually did it it actually you know went through and worked out um so but before we get to that, I'll save that for later. <laughs> wow. What a little, what little, little a, enticement. Cliffhanger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so let's say you and I have uh, started a new studio today. We've got all the legal stuff. We've assembled the perfect team. Um, what should our first step be? You know, if we want to create a game that's going to last for you know, 10 plus years, you know, massively engaged audience, like, you know, some, something that's truly going to be out there and have a big impact on the, on the gaming world. Um, you know, what should our first step be in terms of trying to figure out what to build? Should we just prototype? Should we? Yeah. what, what do we do?
1: Yeah. Um, so take into account perfect team, um, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of like uh, parallelizing. So that's like a tough one to say. Uh, um, Validation. And so I think there's some like very early validation that, you know, you like brainstorming, let's say that we have this idea and direction that we want to go towards, which We've already done a lot of research, so maybe like we're starting, you know, at the very (laughs) beginning, of course, looking at the broader markets. But say you come to this idea, you think you see a gap um, or some new way of leveraging technology. So let's say we're getting to the point where we want to start validating things. I think you do this quite quickly and easily even just from an art style perspective because I think this when you look at top of the funnel is probably one of the more important aspects of just is this visually interesting right so fall guys um, very just to use as an example um, very accessible friendly art style right which I would say probably has a user base that overlaps with Minecraft or Roblox, Mm -hmm. very different visually. Um, Does that matter? Like what do people like more? Um, Is something a little more catchy? Are people tired of seeing the pixelated pixel art? Um, Was like some of the success of Fall Guys due to, you know, new shape language? So all of this stuff that I'm saying right now, even in a hypothetical product, is something that you can do very easily, very quickly. And I don't even think you need a perfect team if you have an artist or let's say art director, whoever your like creative side is. I think there's some, some testing that you can do earlier than a prototype. Prototype would certainly be next. Um, and this is why I would uh, have both of these things happening in parallel. Um, but this just kind of gives you like some indication. Uh, I think that there's probably some affinity towards different user bases. Uh, you know, if you were doing, let's say, well, I guess nowadays, like with metaverse, like everything's kind of <laughs> converging. I was about to say, you know, like, I don't know if like, Eight-bit MMO is super exciting, but like I don't know. I'm sure like Minecraft is, you know, people are working on this type of stuff. I don't know if uh, you know people are used to such a high fidelity of other MMO products uh, that are out there. If that would be something, but again, like you can test this very easily. Um, and is how, least- how how would you test that? Uh, So, I mean, there's some, uh, 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 not programs, uh, uh, products um, that you can actually, so, I mean, just to throw out a couple names, like Polefish or Tap Research, where you can actually run surveys inside of games, uh, and in some of these, and I would kind of stay away from trying to, like, you know, get into selection bias, but you can certainly look at specific demographics and, and and understanding like which territories. So this is something that we've done where, you know, in Asian countries, we tested a particular art style that was just wrecking the competitors that, <laughs> that, that we tested against. But in the US, it was just like, nobody liked this. Um, so it, it's just kind of trying to balance and understand like hey, are we making this for a Western audience? Or are we making it for an Eastern audience? And is there a way in which we can maybe merge these art styles, uh, find a way in which uh, it works for both? Because right now, you know, so much is uh, CPI LTV based. So like CAC or whatever you want to like, <laughs> the spend in which to get users is so important that Making sure that you have some visually appealing product, I think, is pretty damn important. And again, it's just so easy to test. And it's fairly cheap compared to the other tests that you'll be running. That's interesting.
0: Now, so do you actually think that the visuals matter more than the core concept because i feel like art or or changing and and figuring out an art type that can work is is relatively easy to do once you figure out like what problem to solve but should do you think those orders should be changed
1: Mm, no not necessarily again i think this was more at least from my thought hey you've identified uh you know w- whether it's like core gameplay or genre or subgenre that you wanted to go after these would be the steps cuz i know a lot of people are like prototype prototype like let's just get it there and of course like yes like you have to um and ideally as quickly as possible um but there are some things that you can do just even from understanding like the art style cuz what you're gonna do is end up taking that and doing like more like market positioning tests or marketability tests. And, you know, if you haven't at least understood like the Mm. different ways in which the art styles can affect that, uh, you can have some pretty drastic results. And I think marketability tests are just far more expensive than to, you know, have a a better understanding of like (laughs) art styles.
0: Yeah. Do you think that, um, that art style also almost translates into this idea of selling a fantasy, um, where, you know, some people have this like dream of being able to like ride and fly with dragons and stuff like that. And maybe, we'll, maybe they'll get that with the new world of Warcraft release, but, um, like, you know, does that art style kind of lend itself towards, you know, testing a certain fantasy because obviously if you have an art style that is very, um, zombie ish, you know, you've got a certain <laughs> bucket there and if you have wizards yeah. and castles and stuff, you have a, you know, a different type of uh, thing that you're going after there.
1: Definitely. So the, the question I get is, uh, does the art style affect the fantasy and like the immersion for players into that fantasy? Mm. Yeah, I, I mean I think that I think there is some aspect of that. Um although it it's really tough. I mean, just from my experience, uh, you know, narrative can really change that aspect. So you don't need, you know, uh to have the ability to have an open world 3D environment to get lost. Um was product lead on June's Journey which is heavily narrative a hidden object game and people like whenever we were running in-game surveys there uh people would always well very often uh cite that they loved the immersion of June's world 1920s right it was something that is somewhat familiar, but not like not totally. And it allowed them to kind of drop into this soap opera-ish story. And so I, I don't think that the art style, yeah. I mean, this is a tough one. This would be very hard to test. Because even just <clears throat> looking at narrative and how this could be tested in games, which we also looked into quite a bit, um, it yeah, this is this is a tough one. <laughs> uh, okay,
0: let let me like reframe it slightly differently. Let's let's take a different approach. So, let's take a look at Candy Crush in the early days. Um, um, you know, in its heyday, doing amazing, right? Um, there was not a doing so bad. <laughs> uh, still not doing so bad. Um, now, there was a book that I read um, a while back, which uh, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. but um, it was a book that was by one of the ex-CEos of Procter and Gamble, one of the biggest consumer you know goods conglomerates in the world. Uh, if you go to a store, you probably use a lot of their products. Um, and the consultant, that he brought in to work closely with him as the CEO to change the way that they do innovation at Procter and Gamble. Um, And lots of interesting stuff in that book. So if I can remember the name of it, you should go read it. Um, But at one point they were talking about, um, so I don't know how golfing is over in Europe, but in the U S at least, it's pretty much male dominated by like, maybe 10% of the male population that's aged, let's say like 25 to 50 or so. I could be very wrong about that, but just pretend I'm right. Um, Most golf club companies, you know, would focus in on the 10% of the golfers to try to figure out like, what do they need? How can they solve that or whatnot? But there was a company that came out like the early nineties and they said, Hey, why don't we look at the 90% of guys that don't play golf to try to understand why don't they play golf? And so they went out and they talked to a whole bunch of these guys that, you know, I'm not a golfer kind of a thing. And they asked, well, why don't you play golf? Turns out golf is kind of hard and they sucked at it and they didn't want to look like an idiot in front of their friends or colleagues or whoever they'd be golfing with was too hard to hit the ball. So what did this company do? They went and they created this new golf club that they called the big Bertha. And it had like a really, really big head on it that made it quite a bit easier to hit the ball. And they ended up bringing a lot of guys that previously didn't play golf into the golfing world. What was interesting though, is a lot of the existing golfers had the same problem that like golf is hard but they didn't really realize that it could be fixed they just thought that oh i just need to like practice and get better at golf or whatnot but a whole bunch of them actually went and bought the big bertha golf club too so it's kind of a massively massive success but in the context of candy crush now this is all hypothetical but I have a theory because I've heard this from a few women that kind of said, well, like, why don't you play Candy Crush? You know, by all accounts, you're a 35-year-old woman. Like, you know, you probably should play it. I'm I'm putting people into a bucket here, but like... On average, you tick all the boxes. By (laughs) all accounts, yeah, you tick all the boxes that says you should like Candy Crush, but you don't. Well, why not? Well, it just seems like there's this endless number of levels. Like, there's no purpose to it there's no why like why would i spend my time just endlessly playing these levels yeah enter homescapes homescapes or or gardenscapes or wherever they started to add more of a reason well why do i play these endless levels well so you can acquire stuff so you can fix up your garden or your mansion or whatever and kind of like progress through it Um, and then maybe to a lesser extent of like, you could have interviewed people that by all accounts should have played homescapes, but didn't, (laughs) nobody just gets a random mansion. Like, like this doesn't make any (laughs) sense here, but then you enter like Lily's garden and Lily's garden adds this rich narrative and these characters. And it like connects you even deeper there. And so I can kind of potentially see this progression of like, where do those problems are? And again, Mm -hmm. you know, now looking at Royal match, well. Royal Match kind of took it at a, a slightly different approach, right? Um, they almost seem to go into Candy Crush, you know, users or whatnot and say like, what do you most love about Candy Crush? Or like, what do you most love about playing match three levels? Well, I love being able to like be super sneaky and queue up that like really big explosion to like clear the whole map or whatnot. Um, I tell you what, now that Royal match has come out, I can't even play Candy Crush because it just feels so, ah, uh, like dated or whatnot, but like Royal yeah. match, like, I feel like a genius. Cause I set up these like really big moves all the time. I get to do all this clever, you know, really cool stuff. Um, and it just feels really good. And so like, those are like three or four different game examples that I think kind of focused in on of like, what is the problem? Well, yeah. I, I feel like I don't understand the point or I I just wish I had more opportunities to do those like big explosion moves or whatnot without having to pay money for it or, you know, I Y, Z. Um, yeah. I don't know. Does that mindset think- like kind of make sense or am I completely off base here?
1: No, you're, you're totally on base. <laughs> you're like uh, rounding third because <laughs> I think you even just went through kind of like the mobile games life cycle right? Like, if you just look at the life cycle of anything, any products, like mobile games itself as a platform is kind of gone through uh, some, like, at least within our lifetimes, very easy to to discuss, like, kind of the uh, intro, the growth phase. I think we're f- pretty fairly into the mature, like, pretty red ocean out there. Um, in each of the aspects that you're talking about, like, Candy Crush came out and its main competitor was Bejeweled, which Bejeweled kind of mm-hmm. did a a port from its browser uh, offering. So it's just like kind of the copy, let's just put this thing as quickly as possible onto this new platform. I think King approached this with like, hey, we have a phone, like we very tactile, I get to touch it. And uh, let's just add a little meta in there, which was like the the lowest like layer of <laughs> <Yeah. them. laughs> some some visual road in which you're you're uh, progressing. Yeah. Progressing. And, and so I think just this m- minor, like, why would I do it? Well, it's a progress. Like you just go forward. It's not just this start over every game and try and get a high score that resets on a monthly basis. And uh, you know, the, the old school leaderboard and then, you know, each of the examples that you gave was just, like, adding in a more enriched experience through, you know, narrative or gameplay or more meta features. So, like, the Scapes games are a great example because a lot of people probably don't remember this, but Homescapes started as a hidden object game. Yeah. And then they made it into a match three game. So, yeah. Uh, been been watching this for quite a while, just kind of matching the mechanic with the meta, like what's going to best help this product succeed. And uh, yeah, to your point, like this this is something like you always kind of have to, it's not quite the zero to one, it's the one plus that, uh, that, that we see a lot nowadays. And what you have to offer is so robust and you know, it's not necessarily just like, ah, take that game and do this better. Uh, you really have to have like a full fledged product that is more cohesive. The like Royal matches you're saying like, man, this, this game, just from a match three standpoint, just feels so good. I, like, uh, not quite sure like how to put my finger on it or if I have the words, <laughs> like I'm sure like, yeah. you know, the designers, uh, have some, some word that they use, I don't know. Uh, So like German and Dutch have this word like that. uh, Sorry, German and Dutch, I just butchered this word's name, uh, or how you say it. But it's it it conveys like, like almost a feeling atmosphere and all these aspects, right. So like in English, we don't quite have words like this. And They've kind of managed to get this kind of like, damn! Like, how did, how is it feeling so good? You know, like the physics of the of the gems moving around. Of course, the explosions and the the strategic aspect of like exactly what you're talking about. When I start to set these things up, and it's like a cascade. Like, oh, feeling so it just, good.
0: It just feels great. Now, you know what's interesting with innovation. Um, so, if we get off of games for a second and we get into just strictly like. B2B software, whatnot. Mm. Most top B2B software, even like in recent years, has all come from existing categories. Um, Like Zoom's success, like Zoom isn't anything really innovative at all, right? Mm -hmm. Um, WebEx and, and whatnot had been around for 10, 20 years before like Zoom came around. Zoom just came in and said, "Hey, existing you know video providers for communication or whatnot have all these problems that just make it a hellish experience to like get on a call with someone. So we're going to make it better." Now, mind you, Zoom still has plenty of issues, so I think there's still like another round of innovation or two there. But it's easier to take that existing category. If you jump back into games, I think a similar thing exists, right? Like if I look at top games that are out there world of warcraft there were plenty of mmos before world of warcraft um and many people don't realize but like they were hellacious and like terrible to users like if you died in like one of those like you'd lose multiple levels and all these things and world of warcraft just made all of those things so much better um and they've continued to do so so like mmos were there before uh mobas league of legends like it existed before they just like differentiated made it slightly better um so do you think that it makes sense especially within the context of games to kind of stay within a a genre but maybe like push the edges a little bit or like how how far or should you be looking to kind of push or grow or change
1: yeah i think this kind of depends again on like the you know platform platform life cycle if you're like in a really mature state uh so like league of legends great example right so dota was out hyper complicated um And like I played both, but like League was just like far more accessible, um, even though, you know, you play a hundred hours and that's kind (laughs) of like, I think I know what I'm doing now. Um, (laughs) It's it's not quite like Brawl Stars level of MOBA. (laughs) You play a couple of games and you're like, I get it. Um, But this was very early. I mean, what League is like 11, 12 years old now which is crazy. like
0: Yeah, I think it came out in 2009 or so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This, this is, you know, like, man, this is when you're just like, ah, I am getting old. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I thought that, uh, you know, some of the iterations and maybe even like, like, I know a lot of people hate on MOBAs coming to, uh, to mobile. And yeah, they might not be like, successful or we might never see a success like League again. But that was because in the very i don't know somewhat growth phase of games in general especially free to play games uh, this was kind of like lightning in a bottle at that at that point in time <laughs> would i say hey go kind of take League on. Well, I think Heroes of the Storm (laughs) attempted that and, you know, didn't do so well. And, you know, there's a couple other games. Let's exclude China for a moment uh, in in their walled garden. But, you know, everywhere else, it's just pretty damn difficult. I think even Wild Rift, League's uh, mobile offering, probably not living up to the success that it thought uh, it could. But these minor iterations of something that exists. So, like if you look at Valorant, I think this is another one of those great examples for, uh, you know, FPS, third person shooter genre, just let's call it shooter genres, because there is a lot of competition there that they were able to take and add a little sprinkle of uh, uh, Team Fortress, CSGO and come up with something that and overwatch of course um and kind of take a a little pieces that made sense i wouldn't call it like an innovation by any means but i think to compete right now in the the current state of the market especially if you're on you know mobile browser pc uh like we're pretty like mature in a lot of these areas and so you just need to have an offering that is either so drastically new, almost like how would you view early days of Supercell where you're putting like two genres together (laughs) and trying to mix things up. Um, But of course, like with the consolidation that's happened in the market, just from a company standpoint, like this is some risky business. And it makes a lot more sense to go into something that is known and you can iterate and possibly make that better and take market share. Uh,
0: so I'm going to jump back to B2B uh, SaaS yeah. for a second here. So um, historically in B2B SaaS, and I, I reference this because there are tons of books and like it, it's a pretty defined category in terms of like, hey, if you want to get into this market, let's say you're selling... Mm-hmm. I don't know, a, a CRM or, or something like that. You want to make that. Um, you have to go and talk to, let's say, Ford and Apple and I don't know, some other you know top brand or something and try to figure out like, okay, what is your biggest problem that you're actively trying to solve related to your current CRM solution? And I have to then figure out how to solve that in a way that is te- at least 10 times better, ideally more, but at least 10 times better than whatever your other, uh, you know, software solution is being, it has to be more than 10 times because if it's only like one or two times better or whatnot, then generally the pain of switching solutions, like doesn't make sense. Like, you know, I haven't really seen a MOBA that has come out that is ten times better than League of Legends, and so the pain of having to learn all these new champions and all these new idols and all like, it's just not really worth it. I think that's why we see Call of Duty, you know, (laughs) sticking around for so long, and and Fortnite and whatnot. It's like, I think Fortnite did a good job of coming in and breaking into something that like it made the building aspect, which is very interesting. Um, won't dive too deeply into that, but like it gave enough iteration that it was like, Hey, maybe I should go through the pain of switching to this new platform or whatnot. Um, but I get to that question or to get to a question, I should say, do you think in games, you have to have that same sort of 10x better for a deep problem that users have to get them to kind of go through the pain of switching to something new? Or is does that not exist? Because, you know, our games are free to play. And it's, you know, far less painful for a company to switch than it is for just like a user to download and try something out.
1: I would certainly say it depends on on the genre and 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 how long the, the user has retained. Like, uh, I know a lot of people that are playing some games purely out of habit. Um, and it's just really something for them to turn off their mind because the muscle memory is there, you know, like as far as hierarchy of learning, like, pff, uh, they, they do this in their sleep. Um, I think, I think using league as an example is, is perfect. I think this is also an aspect, uh, you know, kind of like going back to early days of, uh, Uh, of my career at NCSoft and reading up on every WoW killer that was coming out, you know, (laughs) seemingly every quarter. And within the industry, they started uh, kind of tracking uh, user patterns. And with every new release of the next WoW killer, it was roughly 30 to 60 days later, the increase in active users on World of Warcraft would spike. So it is kind of like, oh, they try out the new thing and it's like, I miss WoW, you know? Like, this is where I know it feels comfortable. And, but these are very large games. Uh, I think, you know, gotcha games are a little different. Uh, They they scratch a different itch and some people will jump right into the next one and possibly Mm -hmm. leave the last one. Especially if you have, you know, power scaling issues. I think it's very easy to leave some of these, uh, kind of power inflationary games because actually after a while you start to notice some of the the cracks in, in the product <laughs> itself. And it's easy to move because there's so many new ones. Um, so I think genre to genre it really depends. And then of course, mm-hmm. depending on the quality of the product, um, yeah, league, you know, it, it changes every couple of weeks, like because they update with patches and they're always keeping like a little uh freshness to the game, but you can <laughs> skip like a couple patches and come back and not have to relearn stuff. It's just yeah, uh, you know, different power spikes at different points in the game for different characters or items, um, which is easy to learn <laughs> if you've if you've played it before. So I, I think this uh I mean, this would be a, a great example of something that is able to kind of remind users and you you need something 10x better but with a lot of games and and I mean you know users are fairly fickle um, I, I think maybe 5x like would get users to jump <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it has to so, be better it has it has to be a new experience it has to be something that's uh, obviously has quality so th- this is you know, two, two times better, whatever the scale is looking like, I, I don't think that this is technically enough. Um, yeah, I think dislate uh, is a great example that I'm thinking of just recently in, in mobile where they're trying to, uh, you know, uh, integrate kind of a music gameplay, I don't know, beat thing. Um, is interesting, but does that really like is that what the users were like <laughs> fighting for? I, I don't know. And in, in many of these games, you do autoplay, so yeah. Why?
0: So, okay, so we've kind of established that it seems like you need at least a five to 10x better feature, but like, how do you figure out what the problem is that you need to solve, and then how do you like go about attempting to solve that problem, or how should you?
1: Well, cool. I mean, like, again, lots of research. I think every example you gave was, Hey, go talk to, uh, <laughs> your customer, you know, whether that's a business or the actual consumer. Um, yeah, I mean, like, of course, eat, I think eat your own dog food. This is, am I saying it correctly? Eat, do, eat the dog food, uh, basically <laughs> play the games, like really try and understand as a user yourself, of course, this is never enough. And I think a lot of people get stuck in this kind of loop of I I play it and I know, and this is a, a bit, a little too confirmation bias uh, there. Um, of course, user tests, like any, any type of user groups that you can get uh, kind of more of their subjective uh, 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 takes on. Um, I think there's like a lot of data platforms that, you know, you can kind of use to to find maybe some higher to mid-level reasons why people might uh, enjoy, you know, one game versus another offering. And this just gives you some kind of structure. So this isn't like, ha, I found it, this is it, because you have to constantly be validating against that. And once you're making these assumptions on how to... I don't know, 5X or 10X, uh, you know, testing these through gameplay is kind of the the big step. Like, this is kind of a make or break moment.
0: What, yeah, well, I mean, what, would it make sense to just kind of like get this initial group of 20 or 50 people or whoever you talk to that kind of coalesced and everyone had the same problem and be like, hey, you know, can you play this or can you check this out? Like, is this, are we on the right track kind of a thing here or...
1: Yeah. DVD. I mean, yeah. Th- that would be awesome. I, th- this is why I think, uh, so one of the big, I think, learnings, uh, from a lot of uh, like all the web three products like out there suck, like, but there are some like good <laughs> learnings there. One thing I would say is the way in which they build communities. And so everything that we're talking about right now, where it's like, ah, oh, 2030 users, they have like, 15,000 users and they're like, hey, who wants early access to our first playable? <laughs> and like, you know, every single person's like me. Um, there's massive value in that. Uh, yeah. Also just understanding, uh, you know, who who your kind of like main consumer is, uh, y- you can rely on this community quite early and often. Of course, you know, you should be scouring uh, competitors in, in their discords, in, in any like reddits that have, you know, let's say like you wanted to make an MMO, you better damn well be like in World of Warcraft reddit like threads like reading because there's so much good information, especially when people are talking about pain points because I mean, this is what the internet's great for. Everybody's willing to tell you the pain points. <laughs> uh, they don't they don't necessarily tell you how to fix them. That's up to you, but like you can get some really, really good information just from the general population that is really given a crap about this game. Um, and and I think that this is a lot of just kind of the research that you have to to dive into before, you know, you're, you're like spending a, a lot of time and effort into any like builds to, to mm-hmm. deliver to anyone.
0: That's great. I love that. Okay. So we're almost out of time here. So I will answer the cliffhanger um, and I'll tell you how I've been doing it right with user wise. And then we'll do one final question and, and uh, call it a day. Um, okay. So I've had a sling of failed startups. Um, most of them were generally just due to a bad idea. So if you get the idea wrong, you're pretty much doomed to failure in the begin with, but um, I did have a good idea. Um, so this was, I don't know, 10 or 12, a long time ago, <laughs> relatively speaking. Um, I was uh, in a, uh, a car trip driving across the US and as my mind tends to do, I tend to think about things a lot, um, and driving by us or we are passing. I don't remember how we were going faster or slower, but there was a whole bunch of like trucks around the place. Um, so in the U.S., a lot of our stuff is carted around with these really big, uh, freight trucks. Um, and so I just started thinking about them. And then out of curiosity, I started learning more about, you know, how things work, uh, within the trucking industry. Um, Lo and behold, I actually started to learn that, um, at least at that point in time, there were these things called load boards and to understand load boards, you've got to understand the cardinal sin of trucking. So if you drive from, let's say New York city to Chicago, and you don't have anything in your trailer, that's called deadheading. That's like the cardinal sin. So basically anywhere you drive somewhere, you want to make sure that you're hauling something. So you get paid for that, um, because truckers usually get paid like per mile that they drive, more or less. So load boards exist as basically a way for uh, brokers who need to get something moved from, let's say, New York to Chicago. They can post that load there, and they'll like post a number. And a trucker that wants to take that drive would like find the person on the load board. They'd pay some fee per month to be able to be like able to see the lo- the loads and they call the person up. They'd come up with some deal, pick it up, you know, drive it and they don't deadhead. Um, now I started thinking about that a little bit and it just seemed so antiquated and stupid. I was like, well, okay. Like, wouldn't it make sense to just have a database of all the loads that are available, when they need to be picked up, when they need to be delivered by, etc., and to just give tr- truckers like a nice, easy-to-use app where I can just put in, hey, here's when I'm leaving, here's when I arrive, here's where I'm starting from, here's where I want to go, and then we could just analyze like the price of you know fuel, uh, the different loads, and try to figure out, okay, like. Which load should we have you pick up, and which route should we have you take to, you know, maximize the money that you're making there? Like, I'm sure it's going to be more effective than you manually scrolling through hundreds of loads and like calling somebody on the phone, right? Um, you'd think that it would work pretty well. Now, I went about it the wrong way. So, rather than actually calling the truckers, speaking to them face to face, like trying to deeply understand their problems. I just like, hey, let's like throw together the solution and try to sell it to some people. And it was like so far out there for these truckers that like everyone thought I was just trying to like scam them out of money or something. (laughs) Um, I wasn't. I was like, this this should work. Now, eventually, I kind of threw it as like it's not working, not coming together, whatnot. Years later, Uber created Uber Freight. Uber freight does exactly what like we'd like built our system to actually be able to do. Um it was just like 8 years later and because it had Uber in front of the name like the truckers were more willing to like you know trust them. Now, yeah. if I knew what I knew now, I'm sure I could have gone back then and actually launched that and we, Uber freight probably would have just acquired us <laughs> to launch yeah, their uh, yeah. uh, their thing. But it was a very interesting learning to me. <clears throat> Now, I contrast that with how like, we did user-wise. Um, with user-wise, we used a different system, which is a system that I love uh, now. Um, and so we went out, and I think I talked to somewhere around 50 different game publishers of varying sizes, and I asked two core questions. And initially, when I sent them up, I was like, hey, I'm not selling you anything, I haven't even built anything like I just want to understand like what are the problems in your day-to-day life so that I could maybe fix those and make those better like could you just like give me a few minutes of time and a lot of people said yes it was amazing actually um so I set up these meetings and the first question that I asked was what are two to three problems related to running your games that you're trying to solve in the next 12 months like what is urgent enough and important enough that, like, you're actually trying to solve it. So, if you're talking to players, like, they could have problems, but if it's a small enough problem that they're not really trying to solve it in any way, solving it probably doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. The second question that I asked is if I had a magic wand and I could give you anything related to like running your games now. That running your games would be X. So, you know, whatever you fill in the, the blank there. Um, what would you want most? And that basically like forces you to really think about like of all the things that I could have, of all the things that bother me or, or whatever, what would that one thing be? And having a couple conversations, you probably won't notice much. But after five or 10 or 20 or 50, you're going to start to notice common threads. So with user-wise, we kept hearing. Over and over and over and over again, that live ops is really hard. The bigger your game gets, the more complexity you have to add in. A B testing is hard, segmentation is hard. All these things just kept coming up over and over again. Finally, we realized that, hey, games as a service is here to stay. And there's no actual platform for being able to do this. It's like game engines before Unity and Unreal. Like the cost of doing business was you build your own game engine and you build a game on top of it. We saw game studios doing the same thing with like game operations platforms, like because they had to, they had to build something in-house and pretty much all those in-house solutions just sucked. Um, (laughs) So we are like, okay, well, let's focus in on that and provide value there. Um, So I think you can take that same sort of approach, the same two questions, honestly, and apply them to whatever you're trying to build. Like what is that problem? And what is that trend that lots of people are experiencing? Because if lots of people are experiencing this trend, there's a good chance that if we can figure out how to solve that thing, then we can solve it. Now, of course, it still took us like three years of iteration and changing an MVP before we like still hit that product market fit. But we at least knew what the problem was for us to like really focus in on. Um, so that's my bet. Uh,
1: that's awesome. Although I have a question from your trucker, days. Uh, do you think I mean because you mentioned okay Uber had the name Uber Freight like I can <laughs> trust I can trust Uber Um, Tom Hammond Freight uh, wasn't taking <laughs> off so I, do you think it came down to trusting the product and this was like the failure of like just not being able to sign you know I don't know uh, some I, I don't even know what they're called some group of people truck association or, you know, you didn't go to, I don't know, Peter built or I don't know <laughs> the truck. I don't know. Like, so, you
0: know. so honestly, I think my biggest problem from back then is I went too low. Um, I should have gone and picked the top 20 trucking companies in the U S and I should have mm-hmm. targeted their very top execs who would have deeply understood the issue and the value that we brought. From a high level, versus I was trying to talk to low level like truckers who were like using the load boards themselves, Um, yeah. and so I think had I gone higher, we would have been able to better explain the product and probably would have you know turned it into something.
1: Yeah, it, it just kind of reminds me of like how Airbnb kind of got started before their platform. I think they were like taking or like
0: yeah, they were they were I taking stuff it, from like, Craigslist yeah, and they Craigslist were posting stuff to Craigslist. On. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So they went a little low level, but kind of automated it.
0: And then, yeah, I I think we honestly could have done something like that with the load boards. If we'd like really have wanted to, um, my, my co-founder at the time that was the technical guy, this was before I taught myself how to code or or do anything. Um, he didn't even want to build the product until Mm -hmm. we like had validation that like, people were giving us money and stuff for it and stuff. And so we never really even built too much in terms of like that platform before it kind of was like, Hey, let's focus on something else. Um, But uh, interesting stuff. Well, okay, Patrick, I know we're pretty much out of time here. So I have one quick final question for you. So you talked about some of these games as being like really switchable and others as like retaining, you know, stickier, like league of legends, Uh, for folks that are maybe in like a, easier to switch category, maybe match three could be considered one or something there. Um, What sort of tips would you have for encouraging the stickiness of your product? Like how do you keep those players happy and around for the long-term versus just having them switch to the next gotcha?
1: Yeah, I think one of the bigger factors that I see is people see meta as the retention getter. And so they're so quick to copy and paste, right? Uh, oh my God, they have, a, I don't know, feature X and feature Y, like we must get that like as quickly as possible um, without truly understanding what factors are in the game that can be leveraged to try and hit the behaviors that that feature is meant to be hitting. Uh, and at least from a you know cognitive standpoint, like, We're after certain things like, man, I want that dopamine hit. I want, you know, uh, only, you know, so many things from a short session versus something I'm building up over a week. I'm building up to get this thing over a month and making sure that you have, you know, kind of very integrated and tight connection between these things is I think where. Uh, again like if you already have like pretty decent d1 if you if you don't like red alert like everything's a problem uh so looking more at like the long term making sure people don't jump uh you just got to offer a very great and cohesive product right like and and as you said like this is a service industry. Like you have to constantly be in this mindset of what can we do better? Like, what can we offer better? I think there's a lot of uh larger companies or teams that somewhat get complacent. And this is where you kind of see a shakeup of a genre or uh a subgenre or game. Uh just depends. Um, so just kind of having that like desire of. You know, investigating, problem solving, and and, you know it's it's hard to keep this. You know, you you work on a product, you ship it, it's live, and you know (laughs) year two and year three and year four, you're like, okay, I, you know, maybe enough, but like really trying to keep fresh eyes on that and and pushing for uh, a better product, I think really starts with, uh, yeah, just understanding what. What kind of motivators your uh, users want, understanding the behavior, and then giving them features that this makes sense for, and that makes sense for your game. and so this this should help. Sorry, if there's a, a little basic, but like man, oh, I that, see I see that. games messing up on this all the time.
0: It's it's almost like you know instead of just trying to copy all those meta features, like maybe you spend a couple of days a week just working on quality of life stuff for your users to make oh, it God, a yes. better gameplay experience.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think some people just get so used to having played their game they stop, and this is when you see the drop off of quality of life uh, uh, features making making the, uh, <laughs> the roadmap.
0: <laughs> Love it. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me, Tom. Always great to chat with you.
0: All right, we'll talk soon.